This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 16th of June. And on the programme today, as a survey of UAE parents suggests a third of us are using tutors to coach our children, despite the massive school fees many of us already spend, we were asked, what does that say about UAE schools? Or is it just indicative of competitive tiger parents? We found out with David Wesley, the co-founder of Ed Statica, who carried out that research. And we also caught up with tutor Heather Harris, who runs the Heather Harris Education Hub. Plus, as students look ahead to starting uni for the first time in September, Varen Jane, the founder of Uni Hawk, told us about their special pre-university wellness programme that helps students settle in. Meanwhile, Siobhan McNiff from Middlesex University, Dubai, described how they keep an eye on their freshers. Meanwhile, music experts say the recorder is heading for extinction, with one of the UK's top music schools reporting an 80% decline in the number of young people playing the instrument over the last decade. We caught up with Chris Orton, who's a recorder tutor at the Royal Northern College of Music. Also, Claire Turnbull, the principal of the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, told us all about the musical landscape in schools across the UAE. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to Eye on Education, which, of course, we host every Every single Friday here on the agenda from 11am until 1pm. It is our chance to, as we put it, look inside the school gates and find out what's going down uh, here in the UAE and also internationally. Of course, the show is sponsored by the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. And we always like to kick it off with a bit of a rundown of the top education stories making headlines this week. Producer Jennifer Crichton's back in the country, back in the hot seat, and has been reading up on everything education this morning. Hi. I have. Good morning. It's still morning, isn't it? Yes, it, it is, is still, still morning. morning. Although for um, me, it feels like the middle of the night. Yeah, because you not... flew in overnight. We've been doing a lot of flying on the agenda this week. Yes, it's been a week. Even Sheikh Fahim had flown in overnight from, from Korea. So There's a lot of eye bags in the studio today. There is. There is. <laughs> Do you know my eye bags were so so bad two days ago that I had to hold an ice pack to my face for the first sort of two hours. It was a look. It was a look. For two hours? Yeah, it was really you bad. must have been blue. I had conjunctivitis, I think. And, and, and my eyes went very bulbous, like a sort of frog. Like a pug. Yes, frog, <laughs> frog pug. Um, I always, I kind of knew today was going to be one of those days where I would sort of go slightly off piste on the microphone. So I'm going to rein myself back in as quickly as I can so that we talk about uh, the news headlines. And we're going to start with universities, because if you've got a teenager, uh, if you're listening and you've got a teenager who spent the past few months slaving away over their personal statements for their university applications, you might like to sort of just go and make a cup of tea right now, because this little bit of information is not going to make very easy listening, is it? No, it seems all the time and stress might have been in vain because a new study out of the UK suggests the essays are barely read by admissions officers, which is a terrifying discovery for those who have spent hours, months, weeks working on them. So the 600 word essay has been 
a mainstay, let's say, of the university application process for decades. And students have been spending so much time crafting these that there's actually a full-blown industry has sprung up around it. Tutors, consultants, personal essay writers charging really high fees for their assistance. And now new research by the Higher Education Policy Institute suggests most of these essays will receive less than two minutes of attention from a university admissions office. Two in five in Britain are being considered for under a minute And at Britain's most prestigious universities, the Russell Group Institutions, the average read was 90 seconds, with one admissions officer admitting that the statements are skimmed rather than read, largely as a result of rising application numbers. So the researchers behind the project say it's evidence that personal statements do matter, but they're no longer as critical as parents, pupils and teachers might believe. Do you know what you need to do? You need to have a very a journalist's attitude towards them. You need yes. a really good top line. A pyramid structure. Yes, really nail it. Know that no one's going to read after the fourth line, but then they might read the last line. So you just need to come in. You just need to be tactical, ultimately. And, All and the key points, as yeah. high up as you can get them. With charisma. I think yes. charisma is the key thing now, the way to stand out. And don't get ChatGPT to write it. Because Definitely we do all not. know you are. Okay, staying with universities now. I mean, I would have. Uh, it seems uh, US colleges are proving less of a draw this year for students from the UAE. That's interesting. Yeah, this is an interesting one. It appears that the sharp fall in applications to US institutions from the UAE that we saw during the COVID pandemic is proving to be a continuing trend. So in the past, UK and US unis received broadly similar interest from school leavers here. But new data from the education information service EdStat suggests interest in attending US universities is languishing well below pre-pandemic levels, with only 16% of students locally now selecting the US as their uni destination of choice. Now, the researchers behind this study say the reasons behind the drop are varied. A number of families have actually cited safety concerns and perceptions of gun crime risk, which I thought was interesting. But a lot of others, more understandably perhaps, are saying they're nervous about the distance following the pandemic lockdown and being able to get home and to visit their kids should anything like that happen again. Obviously, the US is quite a long flight away. Cost is also said to be the major consideration because US universities are still among the most expensive in the world. So Ed Statica says we're instead seeing rising interest in European destinations such as the Netherlands and Germany instead, where it's a great deal cheaper. We're going to be putting a big focus over the next half hour on prepping for university because, of course, lots of students heading there for the very first time in September. And lots of international students ultimately will be leaving home for the first time. Very much looking forward to speaking to the team from UniHawk in the next sort of 15 or 20 minutes. Right, let's move on to the next big uh, headline uh, because we're going to move into the school sector uh, because two schools here in the UAE have been shortlisted for the prestigious World's Best School Prizes. That's right. Mamura British Academy, which is a sustainability-focused international school in Abu Dhabi, has been named in the top 10 shortlist for the world's best school prize for environmental action. Meanwhile, Dubai's GEMS Modern Academy is in the top 10 shortlist of the world's best school prize for innovation for its focus on technology and preparing students for the future. So in addition to sustainability and innovation, these quarter of a million Durham prizes, that's right, quarter of a million 
dollars, sorry, dollars, not dirhams, a quarter of a million US dollars. So they're pretty significant prizes. These will celebrate schools that show excellence in community collaboration, overcoming adversity and supporting healthy lives as well. And finally, this is the story that I have been previewing, uh, not just uh, this morning, but also (laughs) yesterday, uh, because it is a question that's sparked plenty of conversation in the office this morning. Are we witnessing the death of the recorder? Indeed. Does it sound like we are? It does sound like we are. So recorder fans say it's heading for extinction. One of the UK's top music schools has reported an 80% decline, 8-0, in the number of young people playing the recorder over the last decade. Perhaps it could be because of this. was that? That's the Jurassic Park theme no, song, Georgia. No, it wasn't. It, it was. was. It was. I, I watched <laughs> I watched that YouTube video to get that clip. And trust me, it's, it's quite something to watch it playing over the footage of dinosaurs. So my son is currently learning the recorder at school. He's in year three. It wasn't my choice. Believe I can well me. imagine. Uh, I mean, I, I think the violin's probably just as bad, but it certainly wasn't my choice for him. When, when the message came back from the school that we needed to buy a recorder on Amazon, I, was, I just, I literally said, I'm not having it in the house. See, now what's funny is I actually played the recorder at school. Badly or well? I played as part of an award winning. Goodness. Get, yes, award winning 45 person recorder ensemble. Good. I mean, I mean, I knew Scotland was unusual, but I didn't realise <laughs> there was. That is very special. What I, was your pièce de résistance? Oh, I, I was trying to remember what the song was called earlier, but we used to play all sorts of things. We did big concerts. We played in, in the Usher Hall, which the last concert I attended at the Usher Hall was um, Vampire Weekend. And then, So I played recorder on the same stage as Vampire Weekend. Did you have played. different sizes of recorder? Because my understanding is that you can get both descant and the other ones. Yes, so I was a descant. But okay. we also had treble and bass, so we were we were a bass three-level recorder. ensemble. But there are there are more. There are like five, I think. David's got in touch saying recorders were a rubbish attempt by teachers to teach music <laughs> while sitting at a desk drinking coffee. They also smelt bad, both the recorder and the teacher. Good riddance. Yes. We have two children. One plays the drums and the other the ukulele. It's much more fun. The ukulele, that's great. Ukulele's but fun. It's, it's interesting he's saying about the smell because one of the oh, reasons gosh. being put forward for the death of the recorder is that apparently during COVID, oh, gosh, it became bro. greatly less attractive to play any instrument that involved small children spitting into them. Oh my God, they did. They used to be yes. shared at school. They used to be shared. Oh, that's repellent. And remember you used to take a recorder and you'd have to sort of wipe the bottom. Oh gosh, I can't do yeah. this. It's too early in the morning <laughs> to think about old spittle. Um, Steve's got in touch saying the recorder is like trigonometry. Once you leave school, you'll never use it again. This that's is very, very true. true. I'm enjoying Patrick's message. He actually uh, sent me through a, um, a meme that says, uh, oh, I, need to, I need to load it again. I had it loaded. I managed to figure out, here we go. It says, I'm so glad I was taught to play the recorder at school. It's, it's really come in handy in adult life. I've lost count of the number of times I've resolved a difficult situation with a quick blast <laughs> of three blind mice. Um, I mean, absolutely genius. What I would say is that some people can play it well. I, I mean, I don't want to cast dispersions, but how old were you when you were in the recorder band? Uh, I, I'm 11 <laughs> please don't tell me you were a teenager in a recorder band I think the last concert I played in I was 16 16 <laughs> wow you were in band camp 
I wow. was I was um not one of the cool kids, let's see. You were in a recorder band at sixteen. I I I I'm gonna play this. There you go. That's when it sounds that, good. That was a bit more like us. I'm sure you sounded exactly like us. I'm sure like we this. looked incredibly cool. Uh, I'd love to hear your own recorder memories. I can promise that I will mock you if you were in <laughs> a recorder band in your teenage years because that is that is the ultimate level of geekery, Jen. I, mean, I feel like I've learned an awful lot about you in the last few minutes. Apologies. I, mean, I played the clarinet until I was 18, so I suppose I'm not that much better. And I wasn't good enough to be in a band, so there you go. <laughs> This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the show. Lots of lovely messages coming through on the subject of recorders. Sharon says... This was actually, learning the recorder was actually how I learned to read music. I graduated, in fact, to the tenor recorder, which is a much nicer sound, and then onto the clarinet. I think it was a brilliant way to introduce children to music performance. But equally, I hate the sound of it. Surely there must be another flute-style plastic instrument with a more bearable sound that they could substitute. Maybe they could get the kids to design and 3D print them. I feel it's far too an important skill that is learning music to miss out on. Really interesting there to get uh, those messages coming in about the recorder. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Right, let's turn our attention to another topic because with only a few days left until the end of term, high school leavers are definitely starting to think about starting university. And with so many people here choosing to study abroad, it's fair to say that they might be considering their September start date with a fair amount of trepidation. So as a parent or as a student yourself, how can you prep for those early, rather heady days of Freshers' Week and the first days of term? Now, one organisation that's very keen to help students settle in is UniHawk. They uh, help students find universities uh, and you know that are a good fit for them. And they're currently developing a pre-university wellness program to help students who are leaving family for the first time and to prepare them for independent living. I'm delighted to say I'm joined in the studio now by Varun Jane, who is the founder of UniHawk. Varun, good to have you join us in the studio. Hiya. Thanks for having me, Georgia. It's good to have you. Now, I remember going off to university. I'd actually been to boarding school beforehand, um, but I'd never really had to cook for myself. (laughs) Um, And of course, much was made about how none of the boys would know how to look after themselves and do their washing and things like that. It was still all a bit sexist back then. You know, it's presumed the girls would manage themselves. But I have to say in those first weeks of Freshers Week at uni, I was at Newcastle University in the north of England, there were definitely more boys found sleeping in hedges than girls. So, you know, it can be... You know, it can be a tricky first week for sure. Tell me what the issues you guys have pinpointed uh, as problematic for students when they go off to uni for the first time. So, so like you experienced, um, you know, and you gave the female's perspective, I'll give you the male perspective. Yes. All right. So when I was leaving home, of course, I had not cooked enough. And um, I grew up as somebody who only ate, uh, you know, vegetarian food. And I go off to another country and I walk into these hawker centers where, you know, there is stingray and there is a crocodile soup. And, you know, I, I went to Far East to study. 
and I didn't know what to eat actually. So yeah. I came back to my room and you know I had to figure out my way to you know cook something to eat, and I actually became very very good cook. And then you know it brought a lot of discipline in my life. I had to go grocery shopping. I didn't know what to buy actually. So. to me the pre wellness program that actually we have curated for our students uh, who are actually going off to universities it's uh it's about physical health it's about mental health it's about how to build relationships it's about how to actually plan your day how to plan your week how to uh cook your breakfast in 5 minutes to uh who should be your friend and when you're going through your low period when you have a little bit of tension of completing an assignment or you're preparing for your exam or you probably don't get along with your roommate you know how to deal with such situations and uh sometimes when you're not uh in a situation you're just excited about studying computer science or architecture or uh music but you don't know what are the challenges you will face so basically it's just preparing them you know like how we prep for standardized tests how we uh prep for you know our university applications and a level exams why not prepare for our wellness as well you know before we fly to it universities al- well yeah. do you know it all sounds incredibly sensible and and it's basically encouraging me to cast my own mind back to those first days at university and do you know i think i hated the first term and 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 i always thought you know i'd done a gap year and so i thought i would be absolutely you know i'd worked for a year so i could afford to you know to pay for uni frankly and um and i felt like i was sort of half an adult already and yet i still found it very difficult to make friends in that first right. term now we're going to get into a little bit more details in just a few minutes this is i on education on the agenda with the royal grammar school guildford dubai passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future ready young people hello there welcome back to the show yet yeah, we are prepping our children for university this show uh, because of course with only a few months to go until many of them head further afield head abroad in fact to start at uni you can imagine it's quite a nerve-wracking time so i'm delighted to say i'm joined in the studio by Varen Jane he's the founder of UniHawk and they have just uh, sort of st- developed a pre-university wellness program specifically designed to help those students who are leaving family for the first time and to prepare them for independent living Varen thank you so much for staying with me tell me what sort of services are you looking to offer in in this program? So Georgia it was very interesting that um one of our students few years ago he was going to university and his mom is actually a health coach and we were actually talking about him and how she's actually preparing him uh you know how he can actually cook his morning breakfast in 10 minutes what kind of grocery shopping he should do and you know few months later i received this call from another mother that hey you know what my kid has come back and he does not want to go back to university in the US because he's not able to cope up and we see that he uh uh you know he has put on a lot of weight and he's not able to make friends and he was a fantastic kid who actually went to one of the top 5 universities in the US oh yeah you make want to make that work don't that, you that's right yeah. right so uh but again for parents what matters is the well-being of uh, their child so we then realized that hey you know what we are preparing these children to get into these xyz top universities all over the uk us canada europe but they are not ready to live alone 
right? And we need to prepare them. And that's why, you know, we curated this program in association with, uh, you know, one of the life coaches, one of the health coaches and wellness coaches. So the entire program would, you know, take care of goal setting. You know, when you uh, start your week, how to prepare for it? Uh, How can you actually uh, make five minute quick smoothie, you know, and when you walk into grocery store, what things you should pick up? Mm. And how can you actually unjunk your body? Really interesting. So you wouldn't necessarily expect you guys to have to to focus on those fundamentals of just feeding yourself healthy food. But I suppose, I think specifically in the UAE, our children are quite mollycoddled, aren't they? I mean, many people have nannies or stay-at-home moms. And then I know that there is the tradition of the very good Indian mother who really looks after her her children in a way that maybe British mothers... Or any mother for that matter. Or any mother does quite as well. They are actually Dubai mothers. It's a different category altogether. There's a whole different category. I I, I definitely can't include myself (laughs) in this. I neglect my children horribly. But I know that other mothers are wonderful and really do look after their kids. on top of that, see, food is actually one of the many important things in our personal life. But it's also about, you know, time management. It's about stress management. It's about when am I going to do my laundry, you know, because they have never done their Oh, own. I found laundry an absolute pain because you had to have the right coins and go Absolutely. to a laundrette. Absolutely. That was a no- I never had the coin, so I never did the washing. And how to manage your finances because you are probably not managing your finances here. But then there you have your pocket money, where to spend, who to spend on and how to take care of your own things. Because in Dubai, we can actually leave our, I don't know, iPhone, the newest version uh, in a mall and nobody will pick it. But when you go out, you need to be more vigilant, etc. So it's a it's a combination of everything, you know, time management, stress management, meal planning, managing your own finances, mental health, sleep and addictions. Uh, so oh, wow. we are we actually have an entire module on you know how to manage uh, you know your addictions and temptations absolutely you know because there are temptations out there in the wider world that you don't have to face here in the UAE absolutely right yeah. so those things are easily available to them and uh, you know as a teenager or as an 18 19 20 year old university student you would get attracted to these things so tell me how these mo- you mentioned modules there yeah. is this taken online or are you doing face to face classes what's the vibe so well basically the program is offered uh, in both the formats. So we have multiple offices. So there is a program that is being offered in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and Sharjah. And also it's offered uh, online to students who are not in the UAE. So, yeah, it's a combination of both. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. Um, Vandana's got in touch saying, Hi, I actually compiled a recipe book for my daughter last year with her favorite recipes using minimal ingredients. She absolutely swears by it, which is genius. There you go. What a we, good solution. Absolutely. And we would love to have her uh, actually as part of our program and she can come and share those recipes with the, the students who are flying to university. Yeah, yeah, Vandana, I will share that. Do you know, it reminds me of actually a course that I did just before I had my first baby, uh, in the United Kingdom, right. they sent one of the things that they did on the course was all about how to have the baby and all the rest of it. But they also, as part of it, was how to cook a meal, a simple meal in five to ten minutes. And we were all a bit like, well, why, why do we need to know that? We're adults. And like, well, that is how much time you're going to have on your hands <laughs> after you have your first baby. That's how little time you'll have to prepare food. And it's very much the same sort of vibe when you go off to university. Absolutely. Um, see, you know, when we take that flight, you know, a lot of kids and you actually mentioned one thing, which is about the gap year. Mm. Uh, and, you know, as soon as we talk about gap year, especially in this region and parents are like, oh, 
what are we going to do uh, during that year? We don't want our uh, you know kid to sit at home and do nothing. And I think gap year can be uh, a fantastic way to prepare yourself uh, about life and how you're going to live your mm. life in the future. For the uh, rigors of university, because if you go off and do something that actually is a sort of sidebar to your education, then there's less pressure, but you're still learning yeah. how to live away from your parents ultimately. Totally. And at the same time, ask yourself, or I don't remember if I ever had a gap year since I actually joined university. You're doing your undergrad, you get into internships, you have your first job, you might do your master's, and then, you know, you you just get so busy in your life. It's very difficult to take that gap year. So after I turn, say, 18, and I'm about to join my university, during that gap year, can I actually go and travel abroad? Or, you know, can I live alone? Or can I actually try uh, one of my passions that I was not able to try because of my A-level and IB stress, and, you know, the stress of applying to universities. So even gap year is another way to prepare your child. And I think parents know if their child is ready to live alone. Uh, And that's when... uh, when they choose universities, they have to figure out, do they have on-campus accommodation? Do they have meal plans? Uh, is it a big university with 40, 50, 70,000 students or it's a small setup? So all those things one has to keep in mind. And yeah, it, I mean, basically, the pastoral stuff is almost as important as, as what degree you're choosing so that you can get it right. So you can be happy and, and therefore study well, ultimately. Absolutely. Really interesting stuff there, Varen. Uh, fantastic to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming in and talk me, talking me through that program. You've been listening to the voice there of Varen Jane, who is the founder of UniHawk, who help children um, or help students find the universities that suit them. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great to have you in. Thank you for having me. Lovely to have you with us. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hey there, welcome back to the show, 11.53. We are talking today about how you can prep your children for university. Really interesting there to speak to Varan Jane about how they're developing a pre-university wellness programme to help students who are leaving family for the first time and to prepare them for independent living. It's got me thinking about my first week at university. I was... I was pretty okay with living away from home because I'd already been a boarder at a school and uh, then I'd had a gap year when I moved up to London, worked as a secretary and uh, sort of looked after myself. But it's fair to say that there were a lot of kids just who literally left home and then went straight to uni and pretty much didn't know what to do with themselves. You know, lots of kids got into debt, lots of children didn't really know how to eat healthily, how to, you know, how to even order their day so that they were turning up for lectures on time. So I was very interested to find out what it's like once you pass through those university gates. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined now on the line by Siobhan McNiff, who works at Middlesex University, Dubai. Uh, She's a member of the Centre for Academic Success and also a learning disability counsellor there. Lovely to have you join us on team, Siobhan. How are you? Good morning, Georgia. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's lovely to speak with you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Tell me, is settling into university difficult for some students? Because, of course, you must see a lot of internationals uh, at Middlesex University, Dubai. Uh, Well, I think it depends. A lot of students are coming for an amazing adventure. So there's a lot of excitement around the kind of transition into higher education. And I I was glad that you were talking about your own experience. And I was recalling mine. So I hadn't lived away from home before I went to university. So my experience was maybe a little bit different to yours. 
Um, but yeah, settling into university is a whole big thing in people's lives. And, you know, it depends. Maybe your family has never had a person in it who's been to higher education before. So you might not have any idea of what to expect when you come into Middlesex University. Um, so the pressure to succeed can cause anxiety in people when they're going off to their first university experience. Uh, they might not have any idea what to expect. And yeah. also don't forget, you know, some students are moving into a different curriculum. So there they, they might be concerns about, you know, whether I can manage in the curriculum that I'm moving into. So when um, you meet and greet students when they first come in your doors, what are the most common concerns that they raise? Are, are they quite open about the problems they're facing? Yeah. Um, so I think the you, you've given a lovely list of all the issues. So uh, will I make friends is a big one. So I'm lo- possibly moving away from my home city, moving away from my home country. And for shy people, that's a big concern, isn't it? Will I have difficulty creating a new community in which I can thrive in this new place? Um, uh, Will I be homesick? Can I look after myself? Now, you had that lovely experience, didn't you, in London as a secretary? So some of our students, maybe the ones who've been born and raised in Dubai, maybe haven't ever had to do that. Um, And also, I think a very big concern is, will I like my course? You know, so we almost close our eyes and point at something when we're choosing our higher education course. And you can talk to the academic advisors about it. You can talk to faculty before you come. But actually, a concern is, you know, how will I settle in? Will I cope with the teaching? Uh, Is the level of study going to be a big shock to me? And how will I manage my time? Do you think that your students know who they can turn to if they, you know, if they are having trouble? Is it made very clear in universities nowadays? I seem to remember that there was a, I suppose there was a sort of student welfare centre even 25 years ago when I was at university. But I think I would be more likely to turn to my friends or parents before I turn to an anonymous person in a a wellness centre. Yeah, I think there is a a whole um, row of people waiting to welcome students. So we obviously start with an admissions counsellor. So any applicants build a relationship with the admissions counsellor and they can answer all the initial concerns and the queries. When they arrive in Dubai or on the campus, they're met at the airport or they're brought to the campus by bus. Uh, And there are a lot of student volunteers around to help people orientate in the first few weeks of the term. We have a Centre for Academic Success, which is where I work at Middlesex University. Uh, And we have experts in various different areas. So, for example, my role is inclusion counsellor. So if anyone's coming to university with a disability and is worried that this will affect them in their studies, then I will support them and put their mind at rest and make sure that they have any reasonable adjustments that they need. We also have an under-18s counsellor in the Centre for Academic Success because a lot of youngsters are coming into university for our foundation programme or if they're high achievers, they're coming in under the age of 18. Uh, So we also have a mental health counsellor. So people are coming, moving countries, getting stressed, getting anxious. So there's a lot of support for when people uh, need that little bit of extra guidance. That is very good news. Good. Uh, I think that's going to be a 
balm to many of the parents listening to the radio now, uh, feeling very nervous indeed about sending their children off to university in a different country come September. Siobhan, thank you so much for coming to join us right here on the agenda to talk us through your plans and how it works at Middlesex University Dubai. Uh, That was Siobhan McNiff, who is a member of the Centre for Academic Success at that UAE-based university. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the show. Taking a look now on Eye on Education at the thorny issue of extra tutoring on the programme now, uh, because a new survey has revealed a third of UAE parents say their secondary school children do need extra tutoring, which they pay for. Uh, And a quarter of parents of primary school age children also feel it was necessary. I'm absolutely astonished by this story because it comes on top of those massive school fees that many of us pay. Um, And I'm just wondering what it says about UAE schools, which, of course, often and for the most part, get excellent or or very good uh, ratings in the school inspections. Um, And that leads me to think that maybe it says something about parents here more than schools. Uh, And I'd really like to get into the sort of the intricacies of that topic. So if you indeed pay for a tutor for your child, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to know the reasons why. Do get in touch on 4001 or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 In a few minutes, I will explain why we chose to get uh, one hour of tutoring a week for our eldest. Uh, But first up, let's find out a little bit more about this research with the author, David Wesley, who is the co-founder of Ed Statica. Uh, Lovely to have you join us on the line, David. How are you? Tell me a little bit more about what your survey revealed. First of all, thank you very much for for having me on. Um, The survey um, comes from um, the data that we receive from which school advisor and schools compared and comes in the form of the surveys that we run on both of those sites. Um, Interestingly, we run those surveys not just in the UAE, but we also run those internationally as well. And I think the first thing is that the UAE is not abnormal. In fact, to be honest with you, um, Singapore, um, the average number of um, parents who think that their child needs extra tutoring is 32%. In Hong Kong, it's 49%, almost one in two. Um, and the UAE is 29%. So of those three different countries, actually, the, the, the UAE is in a pretty healthy um, position. That said, you know, it's still 33%. It's still one in three parents think that their children need additional tuition. And at this point, I think it really is a question of, is it because of the education that they receive? Or is it because parents want to make sure that they've done everything that they possibly can do in order for their child to succeed. And I think the answer usually lies somewhere in the middle. Um, And actually, to be honest with you, for some parents, it's very much on one side and for for others, it's very much um, down to the school. So if we were to look at, for example, you know, you you mentioned outstanding rated rated schools. So if you looked at um, outstanding rated schools, you would actually see that the number of um, respondents who thought they needed um, additional tuition um, actually begins to actually decline. Um, so, and if you look, for example, it's the same thing for the premiums and the mid-range and the value schools. So 25% of, of premium schools um, think 
um, that their children need extra tuition versus 35% of value schools. So it does it does have something to do with the price that you pay, but it's not the only thing, because if we looked at the ultra premiums, um, 35% of parents think that their children need extra tuition. And perhaps that's something that says something about um, the ambitious nature of some parents. I mean, it's yeah. a... I mean, that is, the, that is the difficult thing we're facing here. It's whether or not you're actually thinking, oh, my children are going to a, not a very good school or not very expensive school. So therefore, I'll, you know, privately give them a boost with some tutoring. And then at the very top end, you've got those insane sort of tiger parents who are like, my child must be the next prime minister kind of vibe. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think the important thing about statistics is that actually numbers cannot tell you what you should do. They can only really tell you what other people do do. Um, so, you know, I think it's quite interesting to look at, you know, what other parents are doing. But then, in actual, to make any sort of decision, you, you can use those numbers. But actually, you should really be looking at, you know, your child within the context of their school and how tuition would actually work for them. Um, and I think that's, that's probably the most important thing that comes out, out of this survey in, in sense of, you do not need to do extra tuition. For the most part, children will do absolutely fine without. However, there will always be cases where, you know, for example, if your child is is falling behind in a certain area or needs an extra boost of confidence or, you know, perhaps in the 12 months running up to exams, you know, they would, they personally feel that they would benefit from additional tu- tutoring. You know, it can support them um, and it can help them in, in that regard. But, you know, for the most part, you know, most schools in the UAE do a very good job of, of, of helping um, students get ready for those important critical dates in their in their academic career. Do you think that we are coming worryingly close to that one in one in uh, well one in two uh, children getting extra tutoring? I mean, the idea that if you look around secondary schools now, that one in three of every secondary school student is getting extra tuition does slightly. It feels like it's telling you a little bit about the pressures that students are facing here in the UAE, doesn't it? It does. But as again, I'll go back to my original comment that when I first made is that, you know, the UAE is is in no way unique, unique in this. I think, you know, I think this is a market where there is a degree of disposable income. And I think, you know, as parents, you know, we all we all worry about our children and want them to succeed. And I think, you know, it's kind of kind of natural to say, am I doing everything I possibly can do? Um, and it's very it's very easy to reach for the extra tuition as a solution for, well, maybe I'm not, in which case I'll just fill that hole with a bit of extra support to give to my child. Mm. I think the complexity and the difficulty is, is that, you know, it's not always right to give your child extra support. I mean, sometimes they just need time to go and relax. They just need time to, you know, you know, recharge. I mean, People often use the metaphor as the mind is a muscle. I mean, if you overuse a muscle, it doesn't matter, you know, how much you, you know, you train it, it becomes tired. And it's the same thing with the brain. I mean, if you overtrain a brain, it will not deliver you the goods that you want. So there is always a balance. And we need to make sure that when we look at children, we look at students, we're looking at their holistic needs and making sure that, you know, while you want to assuage your worry, um, it's not always about you. It's actually about your child and making sure that, you know, tuition fits well within that within that context. Dave, um, I do think. Sorry, carry on. I do think within the context of the UAE, because we, you know, it is a an academically oriented environment and because we do have disposable income, I think it is something that we naturally reach to. But whether we should or not, I think is, is open to debate. Really interesting to hear from you, David. Thank you very much indeed for collating all that information uh, and also giving us a sense there on the possible 
reasons for tutoring and whether or not it is indeed a good idea. Uh, Ingrid, thank you very much for your message. Ingrid says that we used a tutor for early entry GCSE as a confidence booster. We've decided to get a tutor for our eldest in English because not because he was sort of falling behind as such, but because uh, compared to his science and math scores, his English wasn't quite on a par. So we went for one hour a week to bring up his English to standard. And I have to say, it's expensive. It's really expensive. But it completely blew my mind at how quickly he improved. And now we've got to sort of make that decision as whether or not to, to stop because I can see how well he's doing with that sort of one-on-one attention and his confidence has grown. But undoubtedly, I mean, my children go to probably one of the sort of medium expensive schools out here. And and I do slightly resent the fact that he improved so quickly with that one-on-one attention because I am paying school fees and I just wonder whether maybe his teacher should have spotted that or his teaching assistant should have spotted that and and that they should have brought him up to standard rather than us having to spend extra money on it. Um, But very interesting there to to hear David saying, you know, if you have got any disposable income, the first thing, of course, you want to spend it on is improving your children's education. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there. Welcome back to the show. Yes, we are continuing our conversation now uh, um, on that thorny issue of tutoring. As a new survey reveals, a third of UAE parents say their secondary school children need extra tutoring. Meanwhile, over a quarter of parents of primary school-age children also feel it's necessary. Very interesting to speak earlier to the author of that research, David Wesley, who's the co-founder of Ed Statica. Lots of messages coming in from people saying whether or not they do or don't use a uh, tutor. One person here says, we pay a lot for school. Um, The school should notice weak students and provide extra help. You shouldn't have to pay for it. Uh, Nicole, who is a mum of five. Nicola, my goodness me, you deserve some sort of reward as a mum of five. Uh, We get a tutor for the Arabic subjects and next year probably for year eight maths. All of our children are different ages and levels. Being a full-time working mum, I'm drained and I usually do their homework on the weekends. I find tutor prices are ridiculous per hour. Now, Nicola, I'm with you as a working mum who's a bit lazy about homework. I mean, I've, you know, I've still got time to read my phone and look on Instagram, haven't I? Let's be honest. So I probably could find time to do homework with the children. But I find it really really difficult. And I think it's possibly why mine aren't, you know, excelling in the way that other children's are. Because maybe, you know, if you do sort of home tutor your children a bit, and you do really focus on homework from a really young age, maybe you can sort of bump them up a couple of grades at school. Anyway, I mean, interesting thoughts there. Uh, Those are my you know, uneducated thoughts just as a mum. But fortunately, we have got an expert in the studio, so we can move on from my slightly ill-formed thoughts to talk to uh, tutor uh, Heather Harris, who runs the Heather Harris Education Hub, which is where you can go if you want to find a tutor. Heather's very kindly joined me in the studio. Lovely to have you with us. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, it's great for you to come in. And and just before we went on air, I I did warn you that this might be a, a gently combative interview. Gently. Because I suppose there is a feeling among lots of parents uh, and I think it's sort of slightly sort of piqued by guilt in some ways because you always want to do the best for your child but we're all spending a fortune on school fees in this country and in every country I suppose you know anywhere you're an expat and 
To then need to pay extra for a tutor feels like adding insult to injury in some ways. So do you think that, that tutoring is, is necessary? Do, do you think the schools, you know, why do you think tutoring is necessary? Okay, well, you've, you've opened up a whole load of, a whole box Huge of can words. Of worms. Yes, yeah. you have. So first of all, um, we don't, I don't think tutoring is necessary for every child, but for some children it is. So anyone who comes through me, we always counsel them first to see if their child generally needs tutoring. We don't take on a tick box exercise. Now, a lot of parents do that tick box exercise. They think, I've paid for a tutor, therefore my child's going to be amazing. And that's not the way to go. Now, well, but other children definitely do need tutoring. So quite often what will happen, particularly in areas where there's a lot of expats, children will move in and they'll have missed huge chunks of their learning because they've done a British curriculum or an American curriculum or they've done the first part of Key Stage 2 in Hong Kong and then they've moved here and it's being repeated so they've missed the second part of it. And yes, they do need tutoring because the schools don't have resources to catch up. And actually what they've missed is so random, you need to do that on an individual basis. The other type of child that does need tutoring is the one that's very quiet. They sit in school. They don't ask questions. They could do better. They sit in that middle category and they could just be boosted just a little bit. Now, what I always say to parents is, you know, if you've got one of those children, maybe just a bit of security, start them for just a few weeks or even a month. Do not think of it as a long-term solution. The people who sign up for tutoring when their kids are in year one and they expect us still to be tutoring when they're 18 – That's not the way to go. It's not good for your child. It's not good for you financially. It's not good for anyone. And it's very artificial, the results they're going to get, because those aren't what they'll get when they go on to university. Now, the other side to tutoring and why tutoring has grown so much is that COVID took two years of of education away. And what happens, particularly in British education, is education is layered. So what we're finding is that a lot of schools, there's, there's no capacity in the curriculum to go back. And these schools are missing those basic foundation layers. So we have got more primary children than we have ever had needing tutoring, particularly in years four, five and six, because they miss those foundation building blocks. They they literally can't write, read or, or spell at the moment. They didn't do their tables and they've just missed that understanding. So everything's very rocky and very shaky and then they need tutoring. So, in fact, we actually held our youngest back a year. He's he's a summer baby, so there, he was always on the cusp. But because I was so utterly useless at homeschooling. At no, no, no. I really was. Um, and and uh, it just though it was it was awful, man, it was awful. Um, we we decided that that was the right decision. And, and oddly enough, he hated it. We, we held him back. And the first term he went the first week he went in and we were like, oh, we've made the wrong decision. Let's let's reverse it. <laughs> and I emailed his teacher and she uh, she couldn't have been more absolute about her certainty that we'd made the right decision. So I imagine he'd gone in barely able to spell his own name. Um, I hope, no, tw- 1226, he's out the car now, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, it, there was definitely a, a sense there that, uh, the, 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 yes, COVID and the lack of homeschooling he got at home uh, was clearly a disaster for his education. He's now very happy in year three uh, and, and doing very well, thanks to no doubt the school. But so... If you're a parent listening to this now and thinking, the problem is I just cannot afford to tutor and, I'm, and I feel guilty because it feels like everyone else around me is doing it. How on earth am I going to get them into a, a decent senior school if, if I'm not doing it as well? Is there a way of combating that feeling? Is there a way of doing it at home if you're a nicer person than me? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's a couple of things going on there. One, parents aren't natural teachers and two, children are not particularly natural students for their parents. They're much nicer with other people. 
But I agree with you, tutoring is ridiculously expensive and we're ridiculously expensive because we use the best tutors. There are cheaper options out there, but I always advise don't go for the cheapest option simply because you've got to make sure somebody's qualified. However, we now have this amazing web with all the learning resources on it. And I think from parents, you know, if you're in a British curriculum, what your child needs to learn is very clearly stated. So it's very easy for you to put work packs together, download things from Twinkle for them to do, make learning fun, log into things like reading eggs. Um, there's things like um, no red ink. There's, there's all kinds of little programs that your child can do online and if it's online a child loves it and it's also about building learning into your everyday now when I was a child we didn't have computers so our everyday learning you know mum would say can you write that shopping list for me or um, you know we're in the shop can you just add this up and I think because we're all so digitally sort of transformed these days we forget to get children to do those everyday learning activities and if we brought those back into our life no you absolutely don't need to pay for tutors really interesting uh, Steve's got in touch saying the statistics for Singapore and Hong Kong where you, you have lots more children getting tutored don't take into account the culture I grew up in Hong Kong and even A star students had multiple tutors it's just the, the way it is over there do you think that's what's starting here in the UAE that's what's starting in Dubai as well yeah I could be very politically incorrect and you know we get parents in and they sort of say yeah but Mrs Jones in the, in, in the schoolyard her child's doing Mandarin so my child has to do Mandarin and I just look them in the eye and I just say your child is four they do not need to do mandarin you know and I think it's very important that we do take a reality check that yes if your child's falling behind one hour a week is perfect when people phone me and they book for two hours I say no I'm only giving you one because a child doesn't need more than that they might need a gentle boost but one hour is perfect okay you're being deliciously frank so I'm going to ask you a tricky question uh, in preparation for it are There is another big sort of elephant in the room. Is it possible that the schools aren't teaching our children well enough and that is why they're struggling? Um, I think education generally is a struggle, partly, as I said, COVID, partly the the type of um, teachers that are coming out, even within the UK, we're seeing a big problem. Now, I think in in the UK, we are very much more kind of, you don't have an option, you put your child in the local school, you don't worry about it, and that's it. Whereas here, you know, you're, you're... second guessing yourself the whole time and going did I put them in the right school oh my goodness what if I made the wrong mistake I brought my child here oh have I messed up their education are they keeping up with people within the UK so there's all of those other questions it's not just about the schools now I would say that schools here are if you would normally pay for a private school in the UK a public school in the UK you would have a much smaller class here you have the equivalent of a very good grammar school and the schools are good and the education is equivalent but I think we second guess ourselves that perhaps we've been unfair to our children by moving them. Really interesting there to hear about the sort of the mentality behind hiring a tutor. Thank you so much for coming in to talk to us. Thank you for being uh, so very frank. I really appreciate it. Heather Harris there, who runs the Heather Harris Education Hub. Thank you for your time here on the agenda. I have to say it's food for thought because my boys now had a tutor for three terms. So I wonder whether it might be time for him to to pause now. Heather is doing the line across her throat as if to say, no, you can stop now. That really, you think I could stop now? That'll save me a fortune. Yeah, I always say, if you, particularly at the end, if you've done it for a year, stop, do the first term of the next year, see how they get on. And if you need it, you can pick it up again. But if you keep it going, you'll never know.
I can send the second one now then because I couldn't afford both. So I can send the second one in and we can improve him instead. Heather, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Welcome back to the show. And I'm turning our attention now to a topic that we have long advertised throughout the show. In fact, I mentioned it yesterday and immediately got loads of text messages in yesterday even uh, because recorder fans say the instrument is heading for extinction with one of the UK's top music schools reporting an 80% decline in the number of young people playing the instrument over the last decade. I think it's fair to say that this could be one reason why. Okay, so that isn't the sound of my son, year three, playing the recorder. But it easily could be, to be honest. And, and that certainly is the way it all sounds when you first start learning it. And, and you know, that, that could be why many parents aren't that keen on their children uh, learning how to play the recorder. I certainly was dreading the moment that one came into my, uh, into my home. Uh, but recorder champions say any instrument that has been embraced by bands as varied as the Beatles and Led Zeppelin must have a place in the musical canon. And in fact, you might be surprised how good the recorder can sound when it's played well. So you might ask why the decline of the recorder has been so sudden. COVID is, of course, getting part of the blame. Not only did the time period make the wind instruments less attractive, uh, but also the lack of opportunities to join ensembles is also said to have played a significant role in its decline. But... Should we be concerned? I'm delighted now to be joined by Chris Orton, who is a recorder tutor at the Royal Northern College of Music. And it's fair to say quite a fan of the recorder. Chris, it's lovely to have you with us. Can you tell me a little bit more about how sharp this decline has been and and why you think it's been happening? Well, I think, thank you for having me on your show. And I'm delighted to hear that your son is learning the recorder. And I think, um, for me, it's actually a broader topic. As a recorder player, obviously, I care passionately about the instrument. But actually, the the key message here is about music education in schools in the UK and how music has been pushed out because of the EBAC, because of the focus on STEM subjects, because of, quite frankly, a lot of budget uh, constraints that primary schools have. Uh, a cost of living crisis, things get cut and the arts get cut. Mm. Now, my argument is whether you love or hate the recorder, most people of our generation, we had music lessons in school. We had recorder lessons in school. We had that opportunity. And so for every child that didn't like it, there were many children that did, like myself. Just like some children love playing football, others prefer to, you know, go and smoke in the other side of the field or do something like that. You know, everyone finds their path. But if we take away the arts from a child's learning, I think... For me, it's quite a damaging thing for the development of our young people and for the next generation. That, um, is, that is very interesting sure. because as a parent, it is very hard yes. sometimes to see past the absolutely ghastly rehearsals that I have to listen to that tend to happen at 6.30 in the morning when my, nine, oh. when my eight-year-old grabs the recorder and tunelessly wakes me up and half of the neighbourhood at the same time. 
Well, I mean, again, I mean, so a good colleague and friend of mine called Sarah Jeffrey, who's a, a YouTuber with over 200,000 subscribers, which for a recorder player is pretty remarkable. Um, she makes a point which I amplify, which is all instruments when played by children sound pretty challenging. The violins aren't much better. Um, but I tell you what, let children learn. You know, as I sounded like that, and I've given solo recitals in the Wigmore Hall and in the Bridgewater Hall in Manchester, you know, we have to start from somewhere. Do we expect an eight-year-old to run 100 metres under 10 seconds? Do we expect an eight-year-old to do a quadratic equation? Some can, that's true. But, you know, I think it's, it's let children have that space and let them learn. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of brass bands particularly. But, I mean, I think they should exist. And I think when they're played beautifully, they can be an incredible thing. It's about giving children an opportunity. Some children prefer playing the ukulele, playing a guitar, playing percussion. Some prefer singing. But if we take that away, like I said, I go back to the point, the record for me is not so much the issue. It's about giving children the chance to be non-verbally expressive, which I think is crucial in today when we talk about mental health. And so when we get these slightly sort of facile memes that, that lots of people send through to me saying, uh, I'm so glad I learned how to play Three Blind Mice on the recorder. It's really stood me in good stead in difficult situations in my adult life. Actually, you would, you would suggest that, that learning the recorder is a key part of uh, our sort of cultural development? I think, I mean, again, I, I don't clutch my pearls when I see people say something negative about the record. I think, great, you're talking about it. You remember it. For me, it's all positive publicity. I did GCSE Latin. I've not read Cicero or Virgil's Aeneid since then. I've not had to conjugate a verb um, or decline a noun. But having learnt Latin meant now living in Spain, learning Spanish verbs has been a lot easier. I've not used a simultaneous equation since GCSE. But understanding the concept of balancing ideas... You know, so we have to think, I mean, no, you probably don't need three blind mice when you're doing your tax return. But maybe having learned about music and having learned how to create and improvise maybe has made one a better person. Who knows? Chris, it's such a great pleasure to have you on the radio. Thank you very much. You've also reminded me that in chemistry, I learned off by heart the entire, you know, the chemical table. But needless to say, I haven't used that in everyday life. And I also learned every single county in place in the British Isles. Again, another piece of information that I will never use again. Uh, Chris, a great pleasure to have you join us on the radio. Thank you very much indeed. Chris Autumn there, who is a recorder tutor at the Royal Northern College of Music. He is raising the alarm uh, that the recorder could soon be extinct because there's been an 80% decline in the number of young people playing the instrument over the last decade. Okay, I'm just trying to find Sharon's message, which actually came through yesterday when I'm... Such was the enthusiasm for people to talk about the decline of the recorder that I got messages really, really quickly. Sharon here said, uh, read the recorder. It was actually how I learned how to read music. I graduated to the tenor recorder, which is a much nicer sound, and then on to clarinet. I think it was a brilliant way to introduce kids to musical performance, but equally I hate the sound of it. Surely there must be another flute-style plastic instrument with a more bearable sound that they could substitute. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there, welcome back to the programme. And we are discussing the decline of the recorder on the programme today. Fans say the instrument is heading for extinction with one of the UK's top music schools reporting an 80% decline in the number of young people playing the instrument over the last decade. Um, This might be why. So the more I hear it, the more I can hear that that is the Jurassic Park theme tune. Uh, But man, it sounds bad. This is a good piece of recorded music, just to remind you of how good life can sound. 
Gosh, it's perky though, isn't it? Slightly too cheerful for my liking on a Friday afternoon. Uh, right, yeah, we are discussing the recorder. Now, I have to say it might be declining in the United Kingdom, but considering my year three son is still learning it, I wonder whether maybe it might see a resurgence in the UAE. Uh, to find out more about whether or not it is being taught in schools, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Claire Turnbull, who is a principal at the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, and something of a music uh, aficionado, should we go with that? You're passionate about music and, and, and the role that it can play in schools. Uh, so, Claire, do you mourn the potential loss of the recorder? Um, I'm going to be perhaps controversial and say uh, not completely. Oh, I think you're with me. For it. <laughs> it's awful. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I don't think it is awful, but I I think there is. So we do we do have a recorder club, um, and we have a, a group of children who love playing the recorder and love playing it well. But the instrument, I love the fact that here we do uh, there are RDS. We bring in real for their want of a better word um, orchestral instruments. So our children learn the violin in FS2 in year one, in year two and year three, they all learn the, um, uh, the ukulele. And year four, five and six, they learn the flute, the clarinet, the saxophone or the trombone. The trombone. So, yes, wow. exactly. <laughs> That's the one where you use your arm to move it backwards and forwards, isn't it? Absolutely. That's the one. Well done, Yuzi. You know your instruments. And uh, it's a, there's so much benefit for our young people, quite seriously, to learning an, a musical instrument, it doesn't matter what it is. Um, there's uh, there's so much research that tells us how good it is for their brain development, for their auditory processing, for their ability to work as a team and to listen to each other, um, and the knock-on effects of actually into so much of academics but it's also fundamentally just good for their soul it might not be good for your soul when you're hearing it's your not, son practice the no. recorder in the car believe me at six thirty in the morning there is my my soul does not want to hear the recorder but they tend to put it in their mouths and just walk around just blowing on it without any particular note jurisdiction they just blow on it outside my door they know they can't open the door before seven but 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 they, that doesn't stop them making an absolute racket outside it. I mean, if we've got parents listening now who, who send their children to school and there isn't space on the curriculum there for yep. to learn an instrument, you know, it's an extra expense. Why would you yep. recommend it as, a, as an extra expense? Maybe, you know, above a, a football club or a, or a sporty club? For me, it's, I mean, I realise the expense absolutely um, for, is a factor in. It, it's about breadth. Um, of opportunity and interest for our young people. So to me, the ideal is both. It's not an either or. And I realise I'm coming from a very luxurious position in saying that. Um, but you, the great thing about YouTube and, you know, and the internet is you can learn the basics of a musical instrument by yourself at home and with your mum and your dad, perhaps. But the joy of a musical instrument, just like with sport, is playing alongside others. So it's that added dimension, that cultural awareness, that that appreciation of beauty. And again, I promise you, music can be extremely beautiful. Um, uh, uh, that that brings so much to our young people's lives. So for me, it's that that balance. There are 
yeah, so many studies that say how it uh, learning a musical instrument also improves the brain power and the brain processing, which then ha can have academic results. But I would strongly recommend parents don't do it for that reason alone. They do it for the reason that it's good for their child's soul, for their breadth of interest, uh, for their cultural awareness and for their ability to, to work as a team. Do you think that children are learning music here in the UAE to the same extent as, as in other countries? Obviously, you started your, your career in the United Kingdom. Do you think there's the same level of learning here? From what I have seen, absolutely. Um, the, there are some brilliant music programmes within the, the schools around here in the UAE. There are also some fantastic opportunities for young people to learn um, instruments through single lessons, but also through the great youth orchestras and choirs that we've got out here. So uh, I think it's absolutely alive and doing well. Fantastic. Um, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm so sorry to cut you off. It's the top of the hour, which means I need to go to the news. Otherwise, Milani and Jen are going to get very cross with me indeed. Claire Turnbull there, uh, the principal of Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, arguing passionately for the learning of a musical instrument, even if it has to be the recorder. Tars got in touch saying, we refer to gateway drugs. Is it fair to say the recorder is a gateway instrument, i.e. a precursor to learning better, more sophisticated instruments? I think, yes, indeed, Tar, you have hit the nail on the head on that matter. So maybe I should tolerate the sound of that recorder a little bit longer. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.